now on to Ethan. We've uh, we, we, our timing on these refreshments was a little bit awkward, uh, but they'll be available um, after we're done, so you have something to look forward to. Thanks, Ben. And uh, again, let me offer my congratulations to Doc. This is usually what I spend my time at conferences doing, and I know just precisely how hard this is. And it's a good thing because my shift key broke, and I couldn't Ooh, do it today. I can pull this uh, well, and that might be if we needed to, to shift off, we can just move over the left shift key. So um, I, I usually get brought into conferences to try to internationalize things, uh, which is a novel thing for a white boy from Massachusetts, but uh, really is my role in life, unfortunately, uh, or maybe fortunately. That isn't my job today, although because I almost exclusively work internationally, I'm going to have to talk a little bit about the international to get us to the local. So... I swear this is actually a conversation about hyperlocal journalism and a problem that I suspect actually has a lot to do with hyperlocal journalism, but it's going to require us to get global first. So bear with me, and very, very quickly I'll shut up, and I hope that you guys will talk instead. Um, as Dan mentioned, the, the major project that I work on these days is a project called Global Voices. And Global Voices is basically a really, really big aggregator. Um, and what we do is look at countries all over the world. We look for blogs, message boards, all sorts of different types of citizens' media, podcast, videocast, from the four corners of the world with a rather strong emphasis on the developing world uh, for the simple reason that it's pretty easy to hear about the developed world for the most part. Um, and then we have a team of editors who are actively going out there and trying to find stories that you might not otherwise have find uh, found from anywhere from Belarus to Kenya and so on and so forth. And so on any given day, we are posting um, some sort of longer stories in the left column, shorter stories which are really no more than pointers in the right column. Um, so the reason that we ended up doing this was we were really interested, and by we in this case I mean... Uh, myself and uh, my colleague Rebecca McKinnon, who is in Hong Kong this week, uh, otherwise would be with us. She and I got really interested in the problem of what people pay attention to. Uh, and I started making a bunch of maps that looked a whole lot like this. And anyone who's seen a talk of mine before has seen many, many of these little blue and red maps that I sort of obsessively end up making. Um, the key to these maps are actually really simple. This is a map of what Google News was paying attention to as of this morning. So by going through all of Google News and doing several hundred searches for countries and cities and towns and political leaders' names, what did we find more stories on? What did we find fewer stories on? The brighter the shade of red, the more attention you've got. The deeper the shade of blue, the less attention you've got. Uh, and for those of us who work in West Africa for a living, uh, you'll note that there's a whole lot of blue there. Uh, and this is one of those trends that you can find over the course of a very, very long period of time. The only time I've ever seen West Africa red uh, was when the U.S. Marines were talking about invading Liberia to help stabilize there. Uh, Greenland, which has nobody in it. Uh, Greenland actually has uh, a significant, significant number of people there. So, um, you know, the point on all of this is depending on where you are in the world there's a, a good chance that you're going to get paid attention to or paid less attention to. And one of the reasons that we took on Global Voices was to try to figure out how to get some more attention to parts of the world where there wasn't necessarily a lot of attention. So we do this 
the reason we're able to do this is it turns out that even in all of these you know, weird blue parts of the world, in many cases, there are bloggers, uh, which is pretty remarkable. And this is uh, a fairly recent phenomenon. There aren't a lot of bloggers, for instance, in West Africa, but there are some. Uh, there are a lot of issues trying to figure out how you would actually listen to those voices and pay attention to those voices. But we found a couple of things that we end up doing that seem to help draw attention to all of these things. The first one is that we end up spending a lot of time trying to contextualize things. So, for instance, here's a story that we're running today on the bishop bloggers of the Philippines. Um, you can imagine a Reuters News of the Weird story about bishop bloggers. That isn't why we're running this story. And in fact, if you look at the first paragraph of this, it starts out, the Philippines is the only Catholic-dominated nation in Asia. The church maintains considerable influence in the lives of Filipinos, aside from delivering servants, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our author here, who is a Filipino blogger, who has found something interestingly, interesting going on in the Filipino blogosphere, is trying to give you a sense for why this might be important. And when you're going and reading these Filipino bloggers, at least the ones who are blogging in English instead of Tagalog, why they're writing the way they are for the audience they might be writing for. So one of the big things that we end up doing is trying to provide context for the work that we're doing. The next thing that we end up doing, I'm on a Windows machine, which means that my IQ is about 80. I'm sorry about that. Um, I have no idea whether that has to do with me or Windows. Um, the other thing that we end up doing an increasing amount of and really hadn't planned on doing when we started this project, is translation. Um, and as it turns out, the blogosphere two years ago had a whole lot of English language bloggers and fewer bloggers in different languages. That has changed radically. Uh, if you listen to David Siffrey's numbers on all of this, um, we've now gotten to the point where English is no longer the dominant language of the blogosphere. It's probably no longer even the largest plurality. It's probably behind Japanese. Sifri and I disagree on whether it's behind Chinese. I think English is behind Chinese. He thinks it's not. We'll have a death cage match one of these days. Um, the point is, if you want to understand what's going on in the Chinese blogosphere, you need to speak Chinese. Uh, and if you don't have time to learn how to speak Chinese and you don't happen to have a research partner who's been fluent in Chinese since she was five years old, it's really, really useful to have someone translate it for you. And so now we have an editor who's coming and translating large passages of blogs into Chinese because this is a, a, another chunk of things you have to do. This, by the way, is something one hopes from, from Chinese. Thank you. It's the Windows effect, sorry. Uh, it is, absolutely, and it's the lack of sleep and several other problems that I'm not even going to discuss. Um, we actually do have global voices in Chinese, which is part of why I'm screwing up because that's where I'm going next, Doc. This is, weirdly enough, a site that we have nothing to do with. Um, we have published Global Voices now for about 15 months under a Creative Commons attribution license. This sometimes leads to me losing my hair when people repost the entire site and add ads to it, as Phil was referring to before. Occasionally, beautiful things happen. And this is uh, a, an amazing blogger named Portnoy Zeng, who is a student in Taiwan who periodically randomly translates large chunks of our site into Chinese, giving us a much broader audience, which is you know, what you really hope Creative Commons license will do for you. But what we're finding is that if you want to draw attention to something, one of the biggest things you have to do is, is translate. Um, the final thing that we're finding you have to do is amplify. 
And when I manage to get back to my Amplify slide, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. One of our regular bloggers, um, in fact, she's our Israel correspondent, is a woman named Lisa Goldman. And Lisa has been writing pretty extensively on uh, the Israel-Lebanon conflict. One of the things that's been really interesting is that she is in very close touch with a number of Palestinian bloggers and also a number of Lebanese bloggers, and so has been doing things like transcribing chat sessions where she's sitting on her roof listening to air raid sirens, and someone in Lebanon is also you know, watching missiles fall. Uh, we have been you know, running pieces from Lisa for forever. She rounds up the Israeli blogosphere for us periodically. Um, she, unsurprisingly, ended up being the main blogger that the Wall Street Journal quoted when they started talking about uh, bloggers on the front lines of all of this. So we've got countless cases of sort of places where we've tried to take someone who's really got an interesting perspective you might not otherwise hear and amplify it and try to get it out to a larger audience. So the, the reason I'm telling you all of this is really not to pitch GV, although I'm sure that's what it sounds like, but it's to start a conversation about a topic that I'm increasingly concerned about. And it has to do with this little line over here currently tracking 50.5 million blogs, which is to say we're all playing in this new medium. And by all, I mean 50.5 million of us or 50.5 million minus the 20 million who are automatically generated spammers. So the 30 million of us or 30.5 million of us who remain human beings are increasingly competing for attention in a world that has more and more and more people with more and more and more ways to demand our attention. And whether this is someone writing in a small local community where you are one source calling for attention alongside a local newspaper and alongside gossip at the coffee shop or the guy at the gas station who's got news about everyone in town, or whether this is on the international scale of trying to figure out how you get more news about Congo out there, we are all engaged with this really interesting problem, which is that we are adding more signal to an incredibly noisy world and space. And so one of the questions that I think citizen journalism is going to have to take head on is this question of, as we're reporting on these things, and as we're telling the stories that we think are important, how do we get that signal heard over the noise, which, by the way, is other people who think they have signal? Um, so the reason I walked you through what we did with GV is because I think the strategies that we're taking are, are part of it, right? One of the ways you deal with signal in a noisy environment is to amplify um, and, you know, that's what radio towers are. You know, really big amplifiers throwing waves really, really far out and yelling louder than the other ones. And this works up to a point. It works because we have spectrum allocated so that other people aren't trampling over it. But this is not a spectrum environment that we're dealing with here. I also think that some of the other things that, that we end up doing are possible analogs to some of the other situations that people find themselves in. I think context ends up being incredibly important in taking a piece of video or a piece of audio or a piece of news and trying to contextualize it for an audience. I think to a certain extent, even for the folks who are writing on a hyper-local basis, I think translation may actually start becoming an important piece of work that people do. 
Um, certainly, if you're doing hyperlocal journalism in Boston, uh, you probably need the ability to translate from Haitian Creole uh, because we have an enormous Haitian population here. Uh, we've got some really interesting things going on in the Somali community here. Uh, and so how this gets translated and how this gets into the dialogue. So I wanted to throw out sort of the big idea, which was how you get heard within a noisy space um, and the thoughts on how we've done it and open it up. How do you get heard? In this case, you get heard by raising your hand, in which case someone runs a microphone over to you. Uh, or you make uh, vicious comments in the IRC, and I see them on my screen, and then we talk about them that way. Hey, my name's uh, John Bashir. I worked at um, ibiblio.org for two years, and uh, I made... Um, Lyceum, which is a multi-blog version of WordPress. Um, well, I have a couple things that are related. Um, it's B-A-C-H-I-R. So. <laughs> I keep hoping people actually do that. Okay, yeah. B-A-C-H-I-R. Yeah, no E. Thank you. Um, my middle name is Joseph. No, I'm kidding. So, uh, <laughs> uh, well, so first I thought it was interesting that, that you were talking about um, your friend or colleague who uh, was blogging the um, conflict in Lebanon um, and I was like, oh, that's cool. She's right up there and she's blogging. And then you were like, and she got quoted by the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, and, and I was like, oh, like, why do you mention that? <laughs> and I, I'm not just saying I'm like too cool for mainstream media, but like, um, <laughs> I mean, like, but I am, you know, because like... <laughs> They're curious. I, I mean, uh, you know, and, and it's and it's cool to you know mainstream media has. I mean, the, the, you know, I don't need to say the obvious, but but really, I mean, like a, a really successful blogger, um, if there's some excerpt that is like quotable by some like ad-driven, you know, sort of pop drivel rag, uh, you know, I don't know if that's really like the goal here is is to get quoted by uh, you know. Like the Times or the Wall Street Journal, so it's very much our goal. Who's uh, our? Uh, in Global Voices, in the context that I'm telling you, that's 100% our goal. Oh, so I, go ahead with your comment. I, I just well, okay. So I, I let me. So my the second thing I was going to say was, you know, you're talking about the signal to, to noise ratio, and you're, and um, and you said everyone's competing for for attention, and I don't think bloggers, most bloggers. Okay, and well, first of all, let's let's narrow the discussion down to people who might even vaguely like self-identify as citizen journalism journalists, as opposed to like you know writing your diary for your friends. I mean, I think that distinction still exists. So um, you you look unamused by my categorization of bloggers. Me or, or, uh, <laughs> no, uh, Zuckerman. Zuckerman. Go, go ahead. Okay, Thank so you. well, um, I, I was just gonna say, like, I don't, I don't, I think kind of the dream here um, is, you know, the distributed long tail dream, if you will, is is that we, you know we don't need, and like, no one needs a lot of attention, but it, like, but when, when when someone has a story, you know, you can't wait to sit down and blog about it, and then like, if you have any readers, then you know, it'll, you know, in in a, in a nice system, it'll kind of trickle up. You know, I mean, like, I, I barely write on my blog, but, you know, whenever I, like, post some solution for, like, a MySQL bug, you know, Google just eats it up, and, and people find it. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't need readers, I just need Google. But, I mean, I know that, that's not 
I, I, that's kind of... Well, I, I don't know. That, that is what I'm saying, actually. I mean, like, in what sense is the Global Voices goal to, to, um, to get this kind of extremely centralized uh, attention? Maybe I just don't understand that, I guess. Sure. Uh, I, I would rather have a conversation than a, a Q&A. I can respond to that, but it, it's probably better if we sort of have an open discussion. But I'm, I'm happy to respond to that, and then maybe we'll hand it over to Doc, who I know wanted to get in with a comment. Um, your analogy about Google and MySQL is an interesting one, right? You'd like to get heard by someone who has the similar problem to the one that you have. We're trying to solve a very different problem, which is that the vast majority of people are not waking up in the morning and going, gee, I wonder if Somalia is going to fall. Um, and they're not doing it because, generally speaking, Fox News doesn't have much time in between you know, the 17 different people reporting from Lebanon to talk about the collapse of the Somali government. So because people aren't paying attention to something in the first place, we need to change the attention equation. Now, we in the grand scheme of blogs are pretty damn successful. In 15 months, we're ranked about 200 in Technorati. But that still means that we get viewed by about 30,000 people a day. The Wall Street Journal gets read by a few more people than that. And the people who read the Wall Street Journal tend to have significantly more influence and power than the 30,000 people a day who read our blog. You may believe that we're heading towards a future where it's pure online media and everyone finds what they need mediated by Google. Particularly in the parts of the world that I'm interested in, we are a very, very long way from that. And so we're very interested in can we use citizens' media as a way to tap into other media sources and amplify a signal further. doesn't have to be your goal. I'm explaining why it's our goal. Um, but Doc wanted to say something. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I, a couple things there. One is, um, uh, I, I guess my blog used to be like number 16 in Technorati. Now it's about a number 150-something um, and falling. I've had about 5,000 readers a day, according to whatever it is that measures that stuff on the old blogware that I use. Um, and I, I blog fairly consistently, right? I've been doing it since 1999. I've actually noticed a decline in effect. There really is a signal noise issue, okay? I mean, I, I've, my confidence that if I write about a particular subject and it gets, that it's getting, gonna get picked up is actually declining. I feel like I actually honestly feel like a less effective blogger, blogging in a more or less uniform way. Um, I'm blogging actually. I'm writing a lot more at Linux Journal, which is actually a a better pulpit for the kinds of things that I like to write about than my own blog is. And so, in some ways, I'm I'm turning back to the traditional kind of journal that I began with as uh, over time because my blog is actually less effective than it used to be. That's a. The second thing is. Ed Hat, which I mentioned earlier in Santa Barbara, to bring this to the local level, okay? Ed Hat, which is a real service in, in the city, has a fabulous relationship with the city. He gets, I would say, dozens and dozens or maybe even hundreds of letters a day. The, the, the level of involvement is very, very high. I'm getting much more involved, frankly, in local issues. That has drawn me into a lot more of my life is being pulled into things happening in Santa Barbara rather than things happening in the blogosphere and in, out here in the world and, you know, trying to get broadbanded to a city that, frankly, the carriers don't care about, you know, for example, fighting the net neutrality battle or whatever that's going to become, um, getting involved in, in, you know, mundane or, or transcendent issues, whatever they happen to be. The funny thing for me is that, you know, I'm, I'm listening to Ethan and I'm thinking, he's doing really cool stuff and I'm kind of blabbing away over here on my blog. 
You know, it doesn't have the le- but the noise is there. The noise. I I don't want. I think one of Ethan's big points is the noise really is getting bigger, and everybody has a signal. We're all producers now. There's no consumers left, right? I mean, we're all producers. What now? You know, it's an it's a really tough question. Well, I think you got spoiled a little bit because you yeah. were there first, which is the same experience a lot of people on the web had, which was the first people on the web in '94, '95, let, let, let's, yeah. And let's also reward some of the people with their hands up. So, I, I, It's a good point, Jason, but let, let's go to those guys first, and we'd love to get you in after that. You have to respect your uh, people's age. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Grab the microphone out of my hand and run over to Jason to give it to him. I mean, this is, this is bad protocol. <laughs> uh, I, I want to I applaud what you're doing, Ethan. And, uh, and I think if people would just think about the fact that why is it that in our culture and society, almost every American is somehow wedded to a concern for Israel? It didn't happen just um, uh, uh, automatically or without intention or without an aggressive effort to make Israel present in the minds of Americans and wed them to the political cause of Israel. And if you think about the fact of to compare the plight of Israelis to the plight of people who are suffering from AIDS in West Africa, it, it really, there's hardly any comparison. I mean, what is it, 30 or 40 percent of the population is infected? And the fact is that the key to getting things into the mass media is what are the things that are public enough so that we can embarrass politicians into being concerned about them when they have to vote and take action within public arenas? And uh, so I, I think what you're doing makes enormous sense. It really does make the connection from the local to the global, a very practical one, a very real one. Great. Let's let's pass the mic to these folks to the left over there, and then let's. Oh, great! Oh, um, just just a, a quick comment. I think um, something that, that Ethan and I have talked about before, but you didn't mention, which is worth mentioning to you folks, is the role of what we call bridge blogs, which are ones that connect different cultures or different languages. There's a very famous one in China or in Hong Kong called East South West North, which is. Uh, run by a fellow named Roland Sung, and he used to be a professional translator and is one of the most important blogs you can find uh, concerning Chinese language because he just reads, reads, reads all day Chinese language newspapers and then translates them into English. Now, it's not just dry stuff. He translates some of the most interesting, funny, sad, important regional, provincial newspaper stuff into English. And I was just at a conference with Rebecca McKinnon, and he was a speaker, and he says that he's about 30,000 readers per day. But these are not just ordinary readers. These are newspaper editors. These are really important folks in the industry to keep on top of what's going on. And uh, Ethan brought it up right there. Really great stuff to look at, Um, stuff you'd never find translated, and he just does it on his own volunteer time. Um, The other thing that is interesting for Chinese folks to discover interesting content is actually Flickr. So there are a number of bloggers that actually post stuff on Flickr because it's just harder to filter by the Chinese authorities. When it's an image, you can't use text filtering on images. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that's happening there. If you are in the IRC room, I will send you a link to a picture of one of the most famous pictures that's been floating around in the Chinese internet of the 
what we call the forceful deconstruction team. It's a bunch of thugs and military folks that go around and destroy people's houses before they build new buildings in Beijing and different cities. So it's a, this is really only spread by Flickr because it was much easier to do um, the dissemination of pictures by Flickr than by email and other things. Um, then finally, I don't think a citizen journalism conference would be complete today if we didn't talk a little bit about Nick Lemon's piece in the New Yorker, which was called Amateur Hour. And I just wanted to point this out because even though Ethan was reluctant to bring too much of the international flavor to this, because I know we're all very much concerned about American journalism, I just could not, I could not let this day pass without quoting Lemon's piece in a way that just makes people who observe what's going on overseas completely infuriated with what he says. So here's a quote from his article. What the prophets of internet journalism believe themselves to be fighting against, dash, journalism in the hands of an enthroned few who speak in a voice of phony, unearned authority to the passive masses, is, as a historical phenomenon, mainly a straw man. Okay, let me read that again. What the prophets of internet journalism believe themselves to be fighting against is, as a historical phenomenon, mainly a straw man. That is completely absurd. It is so insular in terms of thinking, maybe not even American-centric, maybe New York-centric, that it is preposterous. Um, if you look at what has been going on in Thailand, where Thaksin pretty much owns the media there, the newspapers are operating under a state of fear because the government is the number one advertiser of the newspapers. So if you write something too strong, there goes your advertising dollars. When they had protests in the streets, they had people with cell phones, SMSs, keeping the media in check. So when the media said, oh, only 5,000 people showed up, people were posting pictures of 50,000 people on their websites. Okay? This is pretty important stuff. Just south of there in Malaysia, you need a printing license to be a newspaper operator in Malaysia. One of the most important things that has happened is because of internet development, the internet is a free speech zone, not really by good design by the Malaysian government because they wanted good commerce to happen on the internet. But they, what they didn't realize is that there'd be online newspapers cropping up and then there would be voices that they could not censor. So one of the most important websites in Malaysia called MalaysiaKini.com has been the driver of political debate in Malaysia and the government cannot do anything about it because they accidentally, I say, made the internet a free speech zone. And in Malaysia, there is a blogger called Mr. Brown that actually got a newspaper column in the daily newspaper and was actually publishing editorials that the newspaper editors were afraid to publish or were too timid to publish, and he was just fired from the newspaper a few weeks ago. All right, so in Lemon's piece, he also criticized bloggers saying they're not doing anything that regular newspaper columnists are not doing today. That's an absolute, absolute falsehood. So it really does, you really do need to look overseas where some of the really important stuff that citizen journalism is doing because if you just read the New Yorker all day, you're not going to get that view. So just in the, in the URLs that I was pulling up by there, uh, Mr. Brown, by the way, is in Singapore. Um, he writes a great deal for us, and there's, in fact, a couple of uh, great video casts for him. Not only does he write politically, but he also does these sort of hilarious, uh, singless version of popular movies. So I highly remember, uh, recommend the singlish version of the recent Star Wars films, uh, which is done with a giant wig in the place of the Darth Vader uh, hat and uh, a combination of Chinese, English, and Singaporean slang. Uh, I also had pulled up, as Andrew was talking, Beppe Grillo, hoping to catch your eye. Uh, Grillo is the most 
one of the most political comedians in Italy. He hasn't been able to actually be on Italian TV for the last 20 years because of Silvio Berlusconi's ownership of the media. He's ended up using the blog not only as a medium for his own political activism, uh, but as a form of community activism. And he's now at the point where he uses the blog, which is something like 15 on Technorati, to market his videotapes of the shows he gives, which is now how he makes a living now that he can't be a televised comic because of control of the media. Let's head up into the back. Thanks. Um, I'm Jason Premis, Papa Romeo Alpha uh, Mike Alpha Sierra. So just to get the spelling right. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we, we thought that was a really cool take, blog, take man. We were like, wow, we okay. Alpha Romeo, all right. <laughs> it's way like, to go, man. It's P-R-A-M-A-S. Jason Premis, P-R-A-M-A-S. Uh, UMass Boston from Ham Radio, actually. Jason Premis, P R A M I S. Thanks, Ethan. And I, Ethan, I really feel you on the signal of noise thing because I, I kind of stopped blogging a few months ago uh, after like the the thing that I wrote that got the most hits like of anything I've ever written uh, was not stuff I did on water privatization, not on energy policy, you know, not on labor. It was on you know, it was my Batman Returns review which was called Batman Shrugged, where I said the script could have been written by a- Ayn Rand and, and Mussolini. And uh, so all the objectivists freaked out you know, and started you know, slagging me globally, which got this big you know, spike. And I'm like, this is stupid. You know? so I, uh, I have uh, just a couple of suggestions as far as how to maybe deal with it. And, and it, you know, it requires sort of boots on the ground, hard work, and the kind of you're already doing with an aggregator, right? Uh, but... I think it might be worth trying to put together uh, multimedia distribution hubs, by which I mean not not oh, there it is yeah, um, not um, uh, multimedia in the sense of the web where we yes have video, audio, print, but I mean a place where we're we're doing sort of uh, coordinated multimedia releases of news content, particularly uh, to various you know media, right? So to the web, uh, you know, having documentarians putting stuff out uh, to you know. On, to uh, cable TV, wherever we can get it, uh, assuming the, the quality is good enough, to radio, which is much easier to distribute, right? Um, and, and other print outlets. On sort of a wire service model in many ways, and I used to run a wire service, so it seems like this would be useful to, to think about. Because we used to hit 2 million readers back in the early 90s by distributing to 100 media outlets around the US and, and Canada. And that, that's minor compared to what AP and others can do. So um, th- that's just a sort of thought that I think would be worth looking into and trying to trying to set up in different cities. I know we had other hands up. We've got other hands up. Fantastic. Got three in a row here. I think this is tic tac toe. Jeremy Eagers in uh, Minneapolis and Twin Cities is doing in some ways what you're doing. He he went out and got a little grant from the J Lab. You should all if they give grants to any startup, citizen journalism stuff. And he started something called the Twin Cities Daily Planet. And what he's done, he's brought together all the ethnic media, all the alternative papers, and he set up a blog site basically for them. So the best of what they're producing each week, in addition to other stuff that they might want to put up, is all in one place. It's aggregated. And so, you know, we talk about people around. Your little map shows who's getting heard around the voice, but it's still somebody had once talked about censorship by omission, which uh, the newspapers in this country practice really well. And they kind of leave out a lot of minority voices 
And I guess we could actually look around this room, too, and say we're doing pretty well at that in, in here, too. But it's a good way of getting people heard by aggregating them and then sort of p power in numbers. Thanks. I was just uh, pulling up New America Media, which actually does something pretty similar. It's, a, it's sort of a trade association of, I think, now 20,000 ethnic newspapers in the U.S. Santa Claus's project. Yeah. New, New America. America Media. Okay. Um, well, I mean, when you talk about the problem of noise with everyone looking for a large audience, the, one of the questions, I, I, we're not all looking for a large um, audience, obviously. I mean, when this conference breaks up, there are going to be groups of people here who break up into small groups and say, where do you want to go eat dinner? And I don't want to be mo part of most of those conversations, and neither does anyone else. You know, people are, from time immemorial have been very happy having small conversations that don't involve large audiences. The people, there are lots of reasons why people have conversations, you know, I mean, some of which are just, you know, chat among friends and some of which are seeking a large audience, usually because you're trying to persuade someone uh, to do something for marketing or political reasons. But, but the problem of having a lot of people speaking is not really a problem in itself. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of systems for synthesizing information. I mean, it used to be that when I looked for information, I would go out and do a Google search. Now, more often, I go to Wikipedia because it's synthesizing lots of voices, and I don't have to look through, you know, a dozen different websites or blog postings to find the answer to my question. Uh, the The problem, really, I think, is fundamentally a problem of priorities, and and it's it's because. Uh, Certain voices have become very good at grabbing attention for basically propagandistic and marketing reasons that that uh, that we're even talking about a problem of noise. There, you know, there's there are you know what we really need to do, and I, it's what I really am impressed with what you're doing, Ethan, is figure out how to give voice to the large percentage of, of the world's population that really lacks access to the means of communication and then figure out how to not shut up the re those of us in, in privileged situations but learn how to synthesize, boil it down. We really don't need you know, 500 uh, commentaries about, you know, about whether Star Trek should be revived. You know, and we really need a lot more commentaries about things like uh, famine and, and you know AIDS and and the, the the large problems that affect the world's population and figuring out how to focus our attention on that is not a technical problem at all. It's a problem of priorities. I I really want to broaden this conversation if we can, and, and I'm I'm almost regretting sort of how I frame this issue because it seems to be framing this in international terms, and I, you know I appreciate the kind words from everybody, but that really wasn't my goal. Um, my goal was to sort of raise the question, are people finding themselves within the field of citizen journalism, however you define that, for whatever audience you define that, whether it's for a small conversation, whether it's for a larger audience that you're trying to reach, are we finding that signal the noise is becoming a problem? My contention is that if Larry Lessig's right and we're moving into a read-write web, if I and many, many other people who are saying this are right and we're going to see another billion people online in the next five to seven years, and if the next five to, you know, billion people who come online during that time period are all talking, 
are these systems still going to work for us? So the question I really want to throw out is, are you guys having problems getting heard? Is that the problem or is that not a problem? And we've, we've had push on, on both sides of it. So hands up. Let's microphone people. It's, it's your job to pick people. I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly good at doing this. Um, Mark Rosenthal, Arlington Software. Um, there is something, there's an effect that we've seen in uh, traditional media that I think I've started to see in, uh, you know, in blogging as well, particularly anybody who's trying to make money off of it. And that's um, those... I mean, I, mean I, I personally, when I write, I know I don't have a PhD after my name, so I need to prove everything I, you know, I write. So I try and be very, very restrained and cite, you know, provide citations for any assertions I make. I look at other things on the web, and those on the left um, get more and more extreme and bash the right even more. Those on the right get more and more extreme and bash the left and, you know, even more. And it looks to me like the more, um, you know, the, the, larger num- the larger the number of people blogging, um, and the more people feel like they need to yell, the more there's a race to the bottom. I don't have an answer to this, but this is the phenomenon I'm seeing. We've got, great, back there, terrific. Hi, uh, Betsy Morris, Berkeley, California. Um, I was actually going to ask the same question back, so now I'll try and adapt it. Um, it does. It does seem to me that uh, you know that I'm that when I'm doing searches online, it would be extremely helpful if there was a little more leveling of types of sites that I'm looking for. And I know you can do Google Maps and Google News and whatnot, but I'm actually new to that. And I suspect that a lot of people don't really ever explore. They learned how to use a search engine one way, and so there may be some value in somehow promoting these other. Uh, ways of screening searches so that you can seek out particular types of sites in a better way. But I wanted to ask, um, maybe the Berkman Center would be interested in this, but some sort of uh, survey, not, not so much around am I, am, am I as an individual finding what I want, but the other way, I'd like to know how, is the, how are the readers and engagers of blogs and other citizen media sites turning around and disseminating that information to the large body of people who don't troll the web for hours at a time and maybe don't read the newspapers. I'm just really interested, you know, how does word get out? And and are we uh, kind of the trustworthy counterparts in our communities that that then how to, how to enable that? So maybe that's a, yeah. a survey that, could, that blog people could put, you know, the Berkman Center could come up and... So I'm I'm curious if there's anyone looking into that. What you know that last half mile that gets into right. the households that aren't connected up. So so there is, by the way, um, some very early work being done on that in China. Uh, it's being done by Xiao Chang, who is at UC Berkeley and who was out here for uh, the Wikimania conference. And Xiao is sort of um, well, I mean, he runs a site called China Digital Times, which is an amazing um, translated perspective on what's going on on the Chinese internet. But he has this concept that he calls information brokers, which he thinks is tremendously important in China. And his view is that not all Chinese need to be able to get around the firewall. Um, If maybe 10,000 who have some English can get around the firewall, it's breached. Done. Because they've got other ways of disseminating the information once they're able to get it. 
And it's an interesting theory that he's now sort of looking for ways to test by sort of documenting the social networks around bloggers as they get offline. But that's a really intriguing suggestion. Spell his name. Xiao Chang? Yeah. Uh, X-I-A-O. Mm-hmm. Um, Q-I-A-N-G, I believe. Um, I know that Miha had a hand up. Did anyone have a hand up over here? We got a hand up up there, and then we'll go to Miha after that. So. Great. Uh, I was I was thinking about the problem of no, of uh, uh, signal to noise ratio, and um, uh, I I think there are two approaches to this problem. First is from the user's perspective, and the second is from the publisher's perspective, a journalist perspective. And we look at this at the from the user perspective. Uh, of course, the information environment has changed, and uh, and uh, it's hard to, it's hard not to get distracted. Uh, it's hard to to focus on topic. Uh, but, however, uh, we are all learned how to how to deal with it We're because we we have we have uh, searching, filtering, tagging, aggravating, and so on. But and the, the the second problem is from the journalist perspective: how to make your message visible uh, in the in the very noisy environment. But but this problem seems important only when we forget about the user's perspective. I mean, this is a very old media problem. It's a problem of market share of uh, uh, audience and percentages. Because in this new environment, when everyone is a consumer and producer at once, the ideas just spread, right? And it doesn't matter really to me, uh, did a message came from me from, uh, from an original blog or from Technorati or uh, Slashdot or any other, uh, uh, or, or mass media uh, uh, like CNN website, which finally took, took, uh, uh, took, took the news and covered it. I mean, uh, so... so so I think this this is like the, the question: What we really fight for? I mean, do we fight for for visibility of our own website? Do we fight for a market share, or do we fight uh, for idea uh, for the spread of the idea? And I believe if we think about the second approach, the problem, I mean, it's not that it's not that very important. What is the second? Um, the second approach yeah. was fighting for the idea rather than fighting for your own personal visibility. Yeah, I, I, you asked the question, are we, is there more noise than signal? And I think clearly with more people talking, there is more noise and maybe a little harder to find signal. But I, I'm kind of feeling like it was the wrong question. Um, and hey, me too. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm glad you shifted. But, you know, I'm thinking about... Uh, as an individual, it's overwhelming, and I'm not sure that it's right to think about this in terms of am I getting the attention I want or crave, as opposed to is is attention being spread in a more democratic way, small d, so that ideas and issues and constituencies that weren't getting attention are getting more attention now. That would be a more democratic culture than, say, one that was very narrow, elite, top-down, and so on. And I think, obvious, to me, it's obviously yes that, that attention is being spread out more broadly than it was before. Um, and I think part of the answer to the signal-to-noise no- signal problem is the um, admitting that you can't keep up, you can't drink from a fire hose, um, and then turning to networks, communities, to act as filters. Um, I read the Daily Coast website almost every day because it's a fantastic filter. Um, it's also a really good collaboration engine if you happen to be a progressive Democrat. 
Um, and they've designed that it's partially software, Scoop. But even with Scoop, they've, they've had to, to fine-tune what they do. There's a, a system on that site that was invented by one of the site editors called Diary Rescue. People familiar with this? People can post a diary on Daily Coast. Anyone can do it. They have 90,000 registered users, so the number of diaries that appear there every day are about one a minute, which means you get about five minutes on the home page before you're gone. And one day they woke up and they realized they weren't capturing all the interesting information that people were pumping in because the community didn't have time to filter it. So there's one person there, and she's got a team of volunteers now, who goes back and reads every day's worth of diaries and then posts once or twice a day a list of a dozen or so that deserve more love. So it's a network that acts as a filter. I don't know whether this helps people at the local le- at the hyper-local level, but at the national level, I think that's one way we solve this problem is we need more eyeballs helping us look at things and, and telling us what's worth paying attention to. Then do we have time for one more? Or? Okay. Who gets the lucky last question? Great. Good afternoon. I come from a community across the river, an underdeveloped community called Roxbury, so I hope I can get some um, assistance from you. And I came today because I want to find out, you know, how can I get a handle on what kind of blog or, or website to build that people in Roxbury, who are largely low to moderate income, people of color, largely African American, but a new influx of um, new immigrants as well. How can we use this technology to share best practices? Because I do know about Global Voices. I'm awful jealous of Global Voices because you don't cover much around Roxbury and the the Mm -hmm. Harlem. Indeed, in fairness, we don't cover the U.S. at all. Yeah, 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 no. It's not just Roxbury, it's Cambridge as well. So So let's just be clear on that. I came here today to find um, more uh, allies and supporters that can help us with this, and I've... um, It's a town and gown partnership in a way because we have some support from um, a local university to help us with the citizen journalism side of it. But this has been really fascinating, but I really need to try to um, identify people who can help on that really small neighborhood level so that we can grow and become that voice across um, this country that says these are the best practices that we used in Roxbury to stop um, street level prostitution but also to get those prostitutes in the drug program they needed right. that gave uh, power <coughs> to the elected official so that they could use that to change some policies over there. Do you know what I mean? So, Absolutely. So thank you. So, so uh, first of all, I, I hope there's an invitation for people particularly who are involved with local area, you know, hyper-local mm-hmm. efforts to make the connection and see what you can do to help. I'm happy to provide what resources we can on the GV side of it with the caveat that we literally don't cover Western Europe, the U.S., Canada, et cetera. Um, you also really ought to take a look at Sean Kuhn's project, which I know has been invoked one or two times uh, so far, uh, which is the People Yes. And Sean found himself moving to Greensboro, North Carolina, which is uh, sort of famous as a community with a large number of bloggers, a lot of hyper-local media, but he felt like a lot of people were being cut out of that picture, and he decided to focus on the homeless population. Is now trying to figure out how to bring those people into the conversation. So he'd be an interesting guy to connect with. You might also want to connect with Ajobi Nuere, 
um, who for a while was starting an American Voices precisely in response to the idea that Global Voices was not covering Harlem, was not covering Roxbury, was not covering Watts. And he, as uh, a young man who'd grown up in Bed-Stuy, wanted to make sure that that community was getting covered. I don't know where he's gone with that at this point. He works on about five or six different things. But he'd be a, a, a good person to connect with on that spell his name. project. Uh, I'll spell it for you later. But then talk. <laughs> um, <clears throat> thank you for, to Ethan and, again, to you guys. I mean, this is... This has been really amazing to hear all of the knowledge and wisdom in this room coming back toward this uh, podium. And a couple of uh, quick, again, I want to thank uh, the wonderful Berkman folks who helped us do this. Uh, this is, uh, you know, whatever worked today, uh, don't give me any credit for that. That was them that made this happen in a, in a serious way. Thank you again for that. And we have some uh, refreshments, uh, and I hope you'll stick around for a little while and talk with each other. And uh, <clears throat> we, I hope people will stick around. We'll form informally uh, some small groups to for some dinners and in the area and. Uh, we, we didn't do that in an organized way, partly because it's Monday night and we figured it wouldn't be that hard to get into places. Uh, and also, we, I, I didn't have my act together to do it. So uh, we're going to end with that. And uh, I, I was told uh, by Dave Weiner, who is one of the originators of this format of the unconference, that um, songs are required, but I'm... I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. If, if anyone wants, if, if if anyone wants to lead a song, we're uh, I'll, I'll I'll take nominations, and you can come up here and do it. But okay. Come on, come on, and lead the song. No, no. Come on, you. We'll do it in small groups. Well, <laughs> before we do anything, let's end with a rousing round of applause for Daniel. Oh, I forgot to thank Doc again. So, <laughs> Doc. And. Uh, Okay, uh, thanks again, everybody. Let's, uh, let's mingle, and we'll see you at the next one, whatever it is.